This is Exit Velo Podcast, Episode 5. I'm Q, here with Henry. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame results, the new Mets signing, and a bunch of other great stuff. So, Henry, you want to introduce yourself for the audience? Yeah, hey, I'm Henry. I am uh, a writer at Backsports Page, and mostly covering baseball, but doing a little bit of college basketball, a little bit of pro football. Uh, but baseball is my true love, so I'm I'm thrilled to be here, part of the podcast team, uh, part of the ex-Velo team, I should say, and happy to talk a little baseball with you tonight, Q. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Where where do you hail from? I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, so ah. not uh, not close to any. Well, I guess we got the Reds somewhat close by, but I, I couldn't do that to myself. I am a Cubs fan. That's right. You got, you got to pick the winners. You can't you can't go with the Reds. <laughs> hey, I was born into it. To be fair, I wasn't a, a 2016 bandwagon uh, bandwagon hopper. It was for life. Um, so there was some bad years I had to suffer through to to get my good years now. That's that's life. You gotta you endure the rain before the sunshine. So let's dive right into it. Hall of Fame results yesterday. Winners and losers. We're gonna go right into it. Biggest winner, Derek Jeter. He was almost unanimously voted in besides one vote that basically Twitter and social media went crazy over. The next is Larry Walker, who was also enshrined in. We got Kurt Schilling, who saw his total rise from 60% to 70 which means he's on the cusp of getting in next year for sure. Now, the losers... The obvious ones that come to mind, Bonds and Clemens, which we are going to further get into. We got to talk about the steroid guys. Yes, 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 we will. The Roids, big controversy. Another winner, though. We got Scott Rowland. His numbers jumped big, went from 17.2% to 35.3%. He might not get in in the future, but he's on the right path. They still got seven years to, to build that percentage up a little bit closer. Definitely like to get the momentum. Exactly. Momentum is key. Next, Omar Vizquel. He improved from 42.8% to 52.6%. Not as big of a leap as Roland, but what are your thoughts? Will he get in? Uh, I mean, the way he's trending, I mean, it's not a huge leap, but already being at 52.6, that's that's looking pretty favorable in only his third year. I don't really get it myself. I mean, I know, obviously, a renowned defender. I, I don't think the, the resume is really quite there when you look at the numbers. Uh, but, I mean, obviously impressive he was able to play until he was 45. I just doesn't really strike me as a Hall of Fame resume, um, but I mean, I guess we'll see. He's got seven more years on the ballot, so I mean, we very well could be looking at Omar Vizquel in Cooperstown one day. We we previously on the last show had a huge debate over this. I'm on the camp of defense; he's a huge part of the game, but I do agree his offensive numbers are lackluster to say say the best about him. But his defense is phenomenal. And when you do bad in defense, that's when they notice. For example, in the 1986 World Series, uh, Bill Buckner was a great player, a great hitter, considered by his peers as an all-around just bowler. But what is he remembered for? Through the wickets. 
Exactly. When you mess up in defense, that's when people really notice how important defense is. Vizquel, he transformed the game by his defense along with Ozzie Smith, Cal Ripken, a bunch of other characters. But I can agree he may not be worthy, but he was one good ball player for sure. Yeah, I think you make a great point there, Q, that the great defenders, it's not necessarily sticking out at you just because they're so steady, so reliable where you don't even have to think about it. It's almost an afterthought that, you know, Vizquel's going to make that play. He's going to get to that ball in the hole to where it's, a, yeah, it's not like the flashy 3,000 hits jumping off the page at you, but still a lot of value on, on that side of the ball as well. 100%. Lastly, just a player like uh, Daniel Murphy. His hitting could maybe put him in consideration, but his defense is shoddy. So I don't think he'd ever be in. So it just goes to show you that both facets, both aspects of the game should hold some weight. But his offensive numbers, talking in Vizquel's terms, just do not support it. And I agree. Next, we got a loser, Manny Ramirez. He received on his fourth ballot 28.2% of the vote. How do you feel about that? Yeah, not looking great for Manny. And uh, this is a guy from from our childhood that we remember fondly and breaking the curse with the Red Sox. Him and Big Poppy were a lot of fun to watch. Great offensive players. Uh, Manny, not much of a defender, though, so that hurts his value a little bit. And then he didn't have quite as uh, rounded of a skill set as some of the other steroid guys, say, uh, like Barry Bonds, at least in his early years. So that's hurting Manny a little bit, you know, not being as quite on the level as those other guys. Yeah, Barry had wheels at one point, people forget. And uh, Manny, I love him. Great player, but the taint is always there. But the saying goes, Manny being Manny, unforgettable. Always be a big part of the game for sure. I always remember when he high-fived that fan in left field after uh, catching the fly ball before throwing it back in. Oh, yeah, such a character. He was fun to watch. Most certainly. We got another loser, Andy Pettit. He debuted last year at 9.9%, and he only got 11.3% this year. Does he have a shot? Uh, I mean, based on that leap, it's not looking great for Andy. Uh and he never really had that huge peak performance. You know, never was a Cy Young or anything like that. Was a postseason hero for many years. So that's that's kind of the strength of his resume. But in the, in the regular season, the bulk of his career, I just don't think the numbers are, are strong enough to warrant him getting in. But we'll see. Yeah. Yes, most certainly the voters seem to not account postseason acumen in their voting basically but what do you feel about that should that change should your being a winner add to your resume or it's just straight statistical numbers well if i can preview uh some of the Derek jeter talk i think that his five world series are playing a huge role in people saying that he should have been unanimous and almost being unanimous so I think if you take away Jeter's postseason success, if you put him on, say, the Padres or something, and he never won a World Series, that really changes his legacy. It changes the way that we're looking at him and the way that we're having this discussion. The numbers are still – the regular season numbers, I should say, are still strong enough for Jeter to be a Hall of Famer. 
But I think you're definitely getting some postseason value cooked into the perception of him. So I, I think that to answer your question, that postseason numbers should be considered. Um, I think the bigger sample size body of work is is obviously more important, but you can't totally discredit the playoffs. Most certainly. I totally agree. You got a winner, though. Todd Helton. He greatly improved. His chances are actually pretty good now. He went from 16% to 29.2%. He's not as qualified as Walker, but... How do you feel about old Todd? This one is near and dear to my heart, Q. Uh, Todd Helton was actually my first ever favorite player growing up. Uh, playing machine pitch as a kid, I was on the Rockies, so I had to pick for a Rocky. I had to pick a Rocky to be my favorite player, and Todd Helton was the guy. He had he an amazing career. He gets discredited for playing in Coors Field, as a lot of Rockies do. I hate that. I hate that. Yeah, I do too. But I think that, you know, seeing Larry get in, that's kind of a referendum on Coors Field that opens the door for for guys like Helton to get a little more consideration down the road and to keep building that momentum. Speaking of Todd Helton, he was robbed of an MVP award in 2000, I believe. He had had 147 RBIs. I've pulled up his stats now. 372 batting average. That's literally unheard of nowadays. I mean, beside maybe guys like Arenado, Alonzo got close last year. But, oh, that's such a season. And Helton, he was the dude back then. I'll give you that. I'd like to see him in. I believe he's deserving. At least I hope he, you know, can pick up a little bit more momentum going forward, get a little bit more votes, and just you see some respect for what was a great career, if not a Hall of Fame career. He's got five more seasons of voting, so we'll see how it goes. Now, we're going to get into the big debate. Bonds and Clemens, should they be in the Hall of Fame? How do you feel about that? Thank you. I I can't get behind it. I mean, I understand the numbers are there, and if, if you take it from a numbers standpoint, there's no argument those guys are Hall of Famers. But obviously, it's a little more complicated than that. I mean, these guys blatantly cheated. And even if the if the league wasn't testing for PEDs until 2003 or whatever it was, I mean, that's still that's, that's tainting their legacy. It's tainting the record book, especially in the case of Bonds, robbing my man Hank Aaron of the all-time home run record. It's, I, I just I don't think it's right that those guys have – cheated the game. I mean, they had all the fame, all the recognition while they were playing. So I don't think, I don't feel bad for them if they're not immortalized in Cooperstown. I, I'm of the opinion that they don't deserve it, that you cheat, you don't get in and too bad. So sad. Uh, I'm in the same camp as you. I'd love to play devil's advocate. I like to note a few things. He, his vote has steadily increased in terms of bonds in 2017, he was at 53%, 2018, 56, 2019, 59, and in 2020, he has about 61%. So, the climate is swaying towards him probably getting in, but this is how I feel about it. Some people might say, oh, other players like Stargell and others, a lot of Mets players on the 86 team did it. Amphetamines, greenies as they call it. 
I hate that argument. I think it is such a bad argument because steroids cause warning track power to turn into home run power. Amphetamines, they might make you focus a little more. They dehydrate you. There's been studies that they actually make you perform worse, but they might give you an energy boost, I guess. But the increase in, in production compared with steroids, it's it's unparalleled. It's not even close. Do you agree or disagree? I completely agree. And the amphetamines or greenies, whatever, they're not doubling the size of your head. Mm-hmm. If you look at Barry Bonds over the course of a couple of years. I mean, just putting on that sheer amount of, of body mass and strength, that's, I mean, I think that's a completely different conversation. And even if you do buy into that argument that players in the past were taking whatever, I mean, why, I mean, in my opinion, why would you want to taint the hall any further? To me, that's supposed to be the most pure and clean thing about baseball. And guys like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, to me, that that's everything that goes against everything that the Hall stands for, playing the game the right way where those guys so blatantly So did not. what do you say to the detractors that say everyone was doing it back then, so it's okay? I Everyone back then didn't get caught and have to testify to Congress or whatever. I mean, just because other people did it and got away with it doesn't mean we suddenly open up the floodgates and everybody who wants to cheat can get into the Hall of Fame. I think you still have to protect the reputation and protect the integrity of Cooperstown moving forward. That, you know, maybe maybe that's not fair to Bonds and Clemens, but the 700-plus home runs he hit off the pitchers who were playing the game the right way, that's not fair to them, to their legacy, to the contracts that they ended up signing. So, I, I you know, I, I really have no sympathy for for what's fair to I agree completely and at a time where baseball's reeling with the recent scandal with the Astros just baseball has become for better or worse synonymous with cheating in some way or another and I think a statement would be to not let these people in because cheating should have no place in this game any longer because baseball is on a rapid decline and they don't need any more bad press any more controversy they need to stay straight, and maybe them not getting in would be a good thing. I agree, 100%. So, Clemens, he, his votes actually are increasing, too. In 2017, he garnered 54% of the vote, 2018, 57, 2019, 59, and in 2020, he got 61%. So, he is on the cusp. Clemens? Yeah, I mean, they're trending in the right way, which to me is kind of scary. Clemens loved his tenacity, loved his, you know, craziness. But was it due to the roid rage? Who knows? (laughs) I mean, he's throwing bats in the World Series at Mike Piazza, so maybe the roids had a little something to do with that. Yeah, it just doesn't sit right with me. And then, you know, do you look further down the ballot? Granted, I'm a Cubs fan, but Sammy Sosa is had, a, had 600 plus home runs in his career, and he's getting what, like less he got than 10%? 14, he got 13.9%. And he, he's had eight years on yeah, the ballot, I mean, so he's not going to get in. 
he's he's 100% not going to get in. And I know Sammy Sosa doesn't have the numbers of Barry Bonds. It's just interesting to me is, you know, you take that, do the math. Is Barry Bonds four times better no than way. Sammy Sosa? Exactly. Or exactly. What's going on there? group them all together, and why is there such a gap in the voting? Why is Sosa looked at so much worse where they had that home run, you know, the home run streak year where they were clipping records left and right. And why should Bonds get a pass where Sosa may not? So it's a very gray area. Baseball should stick out of putting this guy, putting these guys in and move forward. Just to get to other notable players and their voting percentages this year, we got Sheffield who garnered 30% of the vote. With six years on the ballot already, so he might get in. Four years left. We got Jeff Kent, who got 27%, with seven years on the ballot and might not get in. Andrew Jones got 20%, with only three years on the ballot. So he may have a realistic shot. What do you think about Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I think you're within striking distance if you're you're in that 20% range and he still has seven years left. Um, I, you know, looking at Andrew Jones's numbers, I'm not sure that that is a hall of fame resume. I'm not like, couldn't tell you definitively that it's not. Uh, so I think he's, he could be, end up being a borderline guy. Okay. And now we have the people that were removed because they did not reach the 5% threshold. We got to start off Eric Chavez, Cliff Lee, Adam Dunn, Brad Penny, Raul Abanez, J.J. Putz. It's amazing that they even got votes to begin with, but this 5% threshold rule, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think 5% might be just a little bit high uh, to where, I mean, these guys still had pretty pretty amazing careers for the most part, which of, of that list there, I wouldn't say any of them are necessarily Cooperstown guys. But I would like to see going forward them have a little bit more of a fighting chance. Maybe you lower that 5% threshold just a little bit. Uh, just, you know, see these guys, if they can pick up a little momentum down the road, see if the if the voters' uh, opinions of them change a little there bit. There were a, a couple more guys, actually. Paul Konerko garnered 2.5%, who had a pretty decent career. Josh Beckett got zero. Keith Bell got zero, Chone Figgins got zero, and Raphael Fercal got zero. Any of those players strike you a little bit, or it's more of the same? Eh, yeah, it's more of the same there. I mean, maybe even in lesser extent, I guess, as, as evidenced by the votes. Uh, Josh Beckett, you're always going to remember him from, from that run with the Marlins and with the, the Red Sox. So definitely a big postseason guy, but... Fell off a lot down the at the end of his career, and overall the numbers not uh, not so Hall of Fame. Going back to the five percent threshold, here's some players that were removed due to this: Lance Berkman, Johan Santana, Jorge Posada, Jim Edmonds, Carlos Delgado, Kenny Lofton, David Cohn, and Lou Whitaker, and Bernie Williams, Nomar. And Albert Bell. Those names strike you a little bit? Uh, of that list, two that stand out to me, I'd say Johan Santana and Nomar Garcia-Para. 
guys that were that played like Hall of Famers for stretches of their career, but just weren't able to to stay healthy and to stay producing at that high level. That makes me think a little bit of Larry Walker, the, who just got in with kind of a smaller sample size. You compare him with Jeter. Walker had three thousand less at bats throughout his career. Another guy that battled injuries constantly. Uh, but, you know, Walker was able to stay healthy more and, and then produce better than Santana and Garcia Parra. I just see uh, a little bit of a comparison there and, and smaller sample size guys that were still able to be dominant Most for a time. Definitely. Okay, we're going to move on to the big news of the day. The Mets hire a new manager, Luis Rojas. Do you think this was a good signing, bad signing, or it was okay? How do you feel? Honestly, I kind of like it. I, I mean, Rojas is a guy that looked like he's been groomed for, for years to be in a managerial position. He obviously has that family history being the son of uh, yep. Felipe Alou. Sorry, the brother yep. of Moises yes. Alou is where I, I was getting I tripped up all there. all that info. So, Let me run through it quick. He's, he's yeah, only 38 absolutely. years old, which I like because... Uh, I didn't want an old guy, as being a Mets fan, but I'm trying to be objective here. He's only 38, so he has room to grow. He's from the DR. As you said, Felipe Felipe Alou is his father. Moises is his brother. He has 14 seasons with the Mets organization, which shows even though with his age being young, he has some experience. His most recent title was Mets Quality Control Coach. His coaching history. He managed the Mets AA Binghamton team in 2017. He managed the Mets Single A Port St. Lucie team in 2015. He coached Dominican League Republic in 2015, also the national team. He also coached the Single A Savannah Mets affiliate. And he coached the Dominican Summer League in 2007. He had... Yeah, so he moved his way right up the minor league there. And then the Mets ended up actually having to put him on the major league staff. So the Rays couldn't get him. The Rays wanted him, uh, but the Mets made it clear he was part of their long-term plans and then created that major league position for him. That's a great point. Some of his awards and accomplishments... He led the Rumble Ponies to a playoff berth in 2017. He led the Port St. Lucie Mets to a second-half Florida State League South Division title in 2016. And he played in the minors with the O's in 2000, the Marlins, and the former Expos, now the Nationals, from 2003 to 2005. Yeah, I think it's important. To, to have that playing career to kind of boost your credibility in the clubhouse. Not only uh, that, adding on to it, like you said, 14 years in the Mets organization. I mean, that's a guy that a lot of the clubhouse is going to be very familiar with. And something else that I heard was important in the Mets search was getting a coach who was able to connect uh, with Latino players. And I think that, you know, this is uh, definitely a good hire oh, in that regard. Certainly. The Mets had to make a safe decision after the Beltran debacle. I think they went with the right move. They picked someone who's been with the organization. People know him. I'll have some take from some of the players. Alonzo and Stroman defended him 
fervently today. We'll get right into that, actually. Earlier today, Michael K. literally went on a complete rant because Strowman and Alonzo went on a show and basically advocated for their new manager. But he said you could do so on Twitter or whatever, but if you go on someone's show, you're in a way de facto promoting them. Do you agree with that, or that's asinine? I, that is, that's pretty asinine to me. I, I think that there's not really much of a difference in saying it on Twitter or saying it on a radio show, and who cares anyway? They're defending their manager. They're happy for the guy that's been uh, with the team for 14 years, kind of an internal hire. I think that this is ridiculous that Kay would get fired up about that. Um, and that's that's just really surprising to me. I, they have every right to defend their manager, to stick up for the guy that's going to be coaching them, and I'm happy that they did it. Most definitely. Michael K. was truly sour. If you haven't seen the clip of him arguing and calling the other commentator moronic, you got to watch it. It's a must-see. If he was on the Michael K. show, I'm sure he wouldn't be saying that at all. This is what Alonzo had to say on Twitter about his new manager. Loved having Luis in 17 and 18 as my double-A manager. It's awesome playing under him and having him on staff last year as well. Super pumped to have him as the, as the jefe, el jefe as they say. <laughs> also, he th- also, he throws some damn good BP. And Pete did some dingers last year, so... He needs his BPs, <laughs> so that's oh, a plus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Strowman on Twitter, he goes, Luis Rojas, love it, love it. Love being around him on the bench last year, always teaching and full of knowledge. Super laid back and brings nothing but great vibes each and every day. Beyond even keel, which I've even heard about him. Excited even more for the year. People are saying Strowman might have been an in-and-out guy. I commend Strowman for this tweet. This kind of shows he's he's all in on the Mets. He wants to be here. He wants to pitch, even though they have six starters as, as of right now, which is a whole other story. Brody's got to do something about that. Yeah, got to figure Strowman's going to make that rotation. Though. Definitely, definitely. But I think Walker might long relief for... We'll, we'll see, maybe a trade, including Dominic Smith, which could segue into our next uh, segment, signings and potential trade rumors. So, the Yankees signed pitcher Luis Avian, Philly signed Neil Walker and Francisco Liriano, the Royals re-signed Alex Gordon, the Angels signed pitchers Jacob Barnes and Jake Thompson, and the Tigers signed Hector Santiago, a pitcher. Yeah, not a not a whole lot of huge, uh, exciting, flashy headlines there, uh, but you know moves that, that could pay off in, in terms of adding pitching depth. Uh, you know, good to see Alex Gordon sticking with the Royals. Uh, kind of a going out to pasture. It feels like for for Alex sticking sticking around in Kansas City. Uh, he's had a good career. Can't say the Royals. Uh, I expect them to be too competitive next year. Um, yeah, 
Neil Walker could uh, could be you know a decent backup utility guy for the Phillies. I think he could he could play a role there. I like that. Um, He's versatile. He's a veteran presence, as you said. The Phillies might need. They have star-studded power. That's un unquestioned. But a guy like Neil Walker for the clubhouse will bring in some nice energy, and he's been there before. And he can only do positive things in my eyes. That's how I feel there. I like yeah, definitely not a bad backup. Okay. And the nitty gritty, the hot stove, Nolan Arenado rumors. Reports say the Braves are in talks as well as the Cardinals, Rangers, and the Dark Horse team. Guess. You won't believe it. But the Chicago White Sox, Whew, not the White Sox. Whew, they they've are. Got, they've gotten good spree. enough this offseason. They don't need any more spending no, streak for sure. This ain't Black Friday, right? <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be huge. That would cap off the the rebuild for the White Sox in a big way, and could even make them favorites in the division to open up the year. Personally, I'm I'm not so sold that uh, on Arenado that he's actually gonna get moved. I mean, uh, that contract is huge. That's that's going to be the biggest hindrance. Yes. And the Rockies are said to be wanting not only a ransom of prospects coming back, that, but they want to actually improve the major league team in 2020 if they move Arenado. And I just don't see how that happens. I mean, how do you make that team better while losing one of the best, if not the, you know, probably, I'll say it, the very best third baseman in for baseball. Sure. Uh, yeah. I'm a Mets fan, and I yearn for Arenado. Seven straight gold gloves. Dude can rake on the road, Coors. People make that argument, Coors Field and all that. Come on. Do do people play better at, at CenturyLink for the Seahawks and Green Bay and, and all this stuff or in domes? Uh, I hate the whole stadium and atmosphere environment. A player is a player, and... Arenado is one of the best. Yeah, that head hitting translates wherever you are. You're not just suddenly one of the very best players in the game, and that's only because of Coors Field. He is a complete ball player that is going to be a star, whether it's in Colorado or anywhere else. Okay, going along with that, after Bridwich early, said earlier in this week that the team had listened to Arenado trade offers and planned to move forward with him, with the team in 2020, Arenado actually shot back. And if Colorado again opens trade talks, the Cards and Rangers could be two of the strongest suitors for Arenado. This is according to John Morosi of MLB.com. According to Morosi, the Rockies have informed interested teams that they would have to improve their 2020 big league team, like you said, and acquire prospects in any deal for Arenado. That just seems a little unrealistic that you're going to be able to get both of those things done and move that giant contract. I mean, maybe they eat part of it, but they have, what, $325 million committed to Arenado over the next seven or so years. That's a tough contract to move. I mean, there's only a handful of teams in baseball that can even take that on. Most of them are the teams that aren't that good that don't need a finishing piece like that to you know, push them over the top and get them in the postseason, get them contending for a World Series. 
I mean, you, yeah, like Royals have all the cap room in the world, but what do they need of Nolan Arenado for to maybe come in second to last in the division? Yeah, exactly. It gets better, though. Specifically, the Rockies are interested in trading for a potential number one catcher for the long term. Again, according to Morosi, with him listing Cardinals catching prospect Andrew Kinsler, Kinsner and Rangers catching prospect Sam Huff as prospects who match that description. If those two prospect prospects are viewed as what the Rockies seek, it's fair to believe that the Mets catching prospect Francisco Alvarez, the number 67 prospect in all of baseball, could also fit that mold. The 18-year-old Alvarez, who is expected to open the 2020 season with Low A Columbia, was recently ranked the number five catching prospect by baseball in MLB Pipeline, three spots ahead of Huff. The 22-year-old Huff finished the 2019 season in high A and has big league ETA of 2021. Alvarez likely won't be ready until 2022 at the earliest, maybe even 2023, but his talent seems to be better according to prospects. Could the Mets deal and land that gaping hole at third base that they desperately need? Yeah, uh, I mean, ever since David Wright, there, there hadn't really been, uh, you know, too much production coming out of that position. But that's scary to imagine Nolan Arenado and Pete Alonso on opposite sides of the diamond of each other. That's that's a hundred plus home runs combined waiting to happen. And you know, I think that would make the Mets. That could even take them. I don't know if I'm if I would say they'd be favorites in the division if you add Arenado to the picture. The Atlanta Braves just keep getting oh, better and that. better. Yeah, Marcelo Zuna to the mix. Yeah, and their system is just literally filled with talent. But as far as what the Mets could offer, Morosi again says Colorado had an interest in a controllable first baseman or center fielder, which Dominic Smith could fit that mold. And obviously you have Alonzo. You got to kind of deal Smith at some point. Because he's a true first baseman. He's a former first-round pick. They say he can play a little outfield, but he is a liability out there. If they would take him, you can add in a couple more pieces. Don't rule out the Mets as maybe shaking things up. Because today, most people did not expect this hire for the manager. So anything is possible. And can't wait for this season to come already because... There's a lot of baseball to play, and there's maybe a lot of baseballs coming to whiz at Houston Astros players' heads. <laughs> Hopefully not at their heads. That was a Hopefully joke. Hopefully not at their heads, but, you know, maybe a couple shots in the back. Exactly. Nah, not even hit them, but brush them back because yeah. ugh, such a taint on baseball. But there will be balls projected at definitely their bodies, and players are going to be mad. It's going to be very interesting to see the first few games of how they literally interact with other teams, how the other teams treat them. Because yeah, we can only uh, we can only hope they have some sensors that let them know they're about to get thrown at. Yeah, yeah, but even more so is uh, I just can't wait to literally. It's going to be almost like a drama movie, seeing them get on the field. Red Sox too, not as much. 
But, oh, they didn't get any penalties. There's the buzzer conspiracy going. Players are mad. So, they're going to How crazy would it be if we if we come out this year and then the Astros just completely fall off the cliff and none of them can hit anymore? <laughs> that would be absolutely <laughs> nuts. And in a previous episode, I projected them coming in second or third, going along with your statement. But according to Altuve, he expects to win the World Series this year. So... Ugh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll still be good. They're still talented players, which yeah, makes it even more frustrating that, you know, they felt like they had to go out and do that. But I don't want to get too into that. I know we've covered on covered that in uh, earlier podcasts. But, yeah, baseball's right around the corner in a way. We got 60-plus days till, um, till the first spring training games is what it is. Pitchers and catchers reporting even sooner. In a little under a month. We, we almost made it, Kilo. I cannot wait. On a last and almost funny note, the L.A. City Council adopted a resolution to strip the Astros and Red Sox of their titles and award them to guess who? Just guess. <laughs> <laughs> the Angels, right? Oh, yeah, the Angels. <laughs> the Dodgers, of course. How do you feel about that rewriting history and... Uh, city council taking time out of their day. Don't want to get into politics, but they must have a lot of time on their hands to do this. But I yeah, feel must, about must that. be uh, must be time for re-election, I guess. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, but how yeah, do you? Good feel? luck. Good luck with that, LA City Council. I, I don't see any changes coming uh, from that route. I guess admirable to try, but I think they're just going to have to to live with the way things are in the record book. And for the record, also, if the Yankees got in, I think the Yankees would have wiped the floor with them, even though I'm a Mets fan. But we like to be objective here on Exit Velo. This is episode five, and we will continue to provide you with the most latest, most interesting, and objective, most importantly, objective coverage. And we will never be afraid to talk about the topics that others are afraid to talk about. Any last words? Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Stay tuned for what's to come. Trust me, big things are on the horizon, and just wait on it. Have a good night, and get ready for a great season of baseball. Yes, sir. Take it easy, Q. You too, my man. Peace.